This is Camille Kajuri and you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. And so you should keep your finger on the button and don't stop listening because uh, there's nothing better anywhere else. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 457 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where it's a good thing we're a podcast because if you were to look at us in the faces, I'm Jay. I'm Julie. I'm Kier. And I'm Haley. And this week we see some real character development in the first season of the Sarah Jane Adventures as our quad of heroes stares straight into the eye of the Gorgon. There are apparent ghosts uh, of nuns that are around an old folks home and and no, this this isn't a setup for a, a bad joke or a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> we quickly learn that the Gorgons of legend of Medusa and the like are real, and one still lives in present-day England, protected by these nefarious nuns. And Sarah Jane, Maria, uh, Luke, uh, and Clyde learn that a talisman handed over by one of the home's residents is the key to both the Gorgons' evil plans and its defeat. And with a whirling showdown complete with Perseus's mirror, our heroes work to thwart the baddie, restore a petrified dad, and misdirect a nosy mom. The portal is opening. The Gorgons are coming. The new queen must be ready to meet them. Bring the host forward. Don't struggle, Miss Smith. Embrace your destiny. Gorgon is controlling you! It's controlling all of you! You've got to fight it! If you don't, they'll destroy all the human race! No! The Gorgons shall save us from war, from greed. We will exist only to serve them. We will be at peace everlasting, and you shall be our queen. So how do we feel that Phil Ford did uh, writing a to frame a, a Greek myth as an alien in a millennium-long state of hiding. It's obviously not the first time that we've taken a, a mythology and written it in as aliens, right? Uh, it's just a matter of uh, science fiction really loves uh, – Doctor Who in particular loves taking uh, tropes and saying what you thought was uh, was a deity or was a monster – was actually just unexplained science, and the science happens to be aliens. <laughs> I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. I yeah, to that effect, I I liked how they handled it, and that it's just a thing that's been around. I think a, a nunnery is a good place to hide something like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> who wants to go poking around a nunnery? Right, yeah. like people don't go searching there. It's not a thing. So the fact that that is the cover story makes a lot of sense and for what it's worth at the end when the nuns are all just staring at each other of course they would all feel that way and i i feel like it kind of wrapped up their involvement nicely 
I, I did like the how they kind of took the, you know, three Gorgons or one Gorgon and kind of worked it in where it's like, you know, it kind of made sense. Like, this is why that these stories say there were three. This is why this story says it's one. So, yeah, it worked pretty well. Pretty clever. Uh, and, and the fact that in this particular case, uh, they do address that the, the whittling down of them over time and the, and the instances where the, these past occurrences, I would have maybe liked to know a little bit more about like what happened to Gorgon number two, because I would have thought that, that would be a much bigger sort of a blip on the radar, so to speak. Uh, but I, I particularly like the fact that there's that quick little twist at the end where, no, this isn't technically the Gorgon. This is just a host. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was clever. That kept it interesting enough sci-fi for the parents in the room, I think. Because then it's not just a matter of, oh, okay, we've we've drawn a real tight bead on our baddie here. And our heroes are going are, are gonna to defeat it. And everything's going to be fantastic again because Sarah Jane's got the power of the doctor <laughs> at her disposal and, and roll credits. This is yeah. just a little bit more something so that it's not just a, oh, they're doing this again trope. Well, I also think that it could have been hosts the whole time of the actual alien coming through. Mm-hmm. And the snake heads were always just those little uh, shifty, shifty ghost heads <laughs> that turned. They did look like snakeish, And mm-hmm. for pre-computer era hosts and cultures it would have looked like that to someone who saw it once be like yeah it looked like snakes that, yeah. in that coming out of its head coming out of its head what's that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, it, it did a really good job of being like this is something that could easily turn into a myth you know this is something that, like i could see where that could very easily become the stories that we've got so it's i thought it was a, a really great job and i just i i wish that they had done one thing of like oh yeah no my one of them had been, you know, killed by by a soldier who polished a shield, like some kind of nod to to, to mm. Perseus, where it d- didn't have to be exactly the story, but it's like kind of tie that in and be like, yeah, no, that's where the story came from. Yeah, yeah. Well, they at least went the route of, you know, since she got the hand mirror at the end, mm-hmm. you thought, oh, okay, are they really gonna do this yep. verbatim? Mm-hmm. And she did change it enough to say, no, I'm gonna pound your juju rays back at you. Ha ha! Bet you didn't. <laughs> see that coming <laughs> right i that much i i think phil ford is definitely on his game on this one yeah i i wish there had been some more statues around the nunnery like you know every once in a while they've had to turn somebody to stone for whatever nefarious reasons well they were well, they, out in the yeah they put them all statue in the garden, garden. It, it took yeah. them a long time to drag them out there but they had three thousand years <laughs> <laughs> that's true but I agree. I feel like when total sidetrack, maybe not relevant, but when you are capturing people in stone, you can use them as hat racks. That's legit. Lawn <laughs> decorations. Sure. Yeah, yeah, more than just in a garden where they're all posed. Mm-hmm. Um, someplace to hang neckties so you don't have to completely unravel them. You can just put them right around the statue or practice working on your neckties. For t- because nuns wear so many ties. Well, they have to tie them for other people. They don't wear them themselves. Yes, they do. That would be silly. Don't be ridiculous, Julie. They're here to fix the vicar's tie. <laughs> Fair enough. 
So the balance of responsibility and input by all three of the lead kids is more balanced already. And Clyde's only been in the picture for about an hour of screen time so far. Mm. Do you think this is because of explicit effort on the writer's part? Or is it just easier to write for teen roles that don't have to reflect more of the subtext and baggage that adult roles might call for? Hmm. I want to say a bit of both. I think all in all, I, I love the writing in this particular story. I like the balance of dialogue, but I also like the nature of the dialogue itself. And even down to, I was not even thrown as much by the fact that we are already getting Luke and Sarah Jane referring to them to each other as mom and son at this point. Somehow it sort of fits in comfortably and, and didn't rankle me as much as it started to even in the previous story. But as far as is it easier to write for tweens and teens? Maybe because they're not conditioned as an audience to expect their peers on screen to have to stare longingly into space for a half a second or so after delivering a line because they're thinking about their jilted lover at the altar in the 1980s. And, you know, that, that stuff's just not there. So you can wear you can you could be much more hard on your sleeve, I guess. And it it helps that that Clyde is a very kind of impulsive character, and Luke just kind of goes along with him because then it, you don't need a whole lot of explanation. It's like let's go down this hallway. All right, well let's go. Mm-hmm. Like there's no debate, there's no ex- explanation. So it it kind of works to their advantage in that way. This trio in particular, it helps. I think that they kind of each have a very defined role in in their part in the group. You know. Mm-hmm. Luke is the new one that he doesn't know what's going on. Clyde's the troublemaker that's streetwise. And Maria's the responsible one with the parents that are checking in to see what's going on. So it it helps their dynamic. I think that they each have such, you know, a structured role on the team uh, that they're bringing to the story that, you know, you don't ever get a thing where it's like, oh, that line should have gone to Luke, but they gave it to Clyde instead because it just wouldn't work. That's true. Yeah, there's a pretty clear delineation there as far as that balance. But thankfully, they're not really, really sharp edges on their character bounds. So there are times when Luke kind of is learning how mm. to be a little more natural. You know, that that's slowly starting to evolve. Um, but then you get the moment where he's definitely not. And <laughs> is, yeah. do you have the talisman? Well, I didn't tell you it was here. Yeah, y- you kind of did. That was that <laughs> was the thing him. you did. Now, well, and Clyde calling him out on it, being like, "You you don't tell them that." And he's like, "I didn't tell them that." Like he he doesn't understand how the connection was made. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking Vulcan, nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, in particular the 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 idea that each of the kids has to has to know to communicate with one another on a bit of an equal term. So Maria being the sort of the empathetic one, she's the passionate one. She's the one that sort of realizes that, you know, there are people involved here and there are emotions and, and people are going to get hurt and and those things have has its merit. But then when it hits home or there's something that threatens her and hers, she can get action Jackson as well. Um, so each of the, each of them has that ability to sort of step into each other's lanes just enough to know that they are invested in one another. I just want to see that it's not only Maria who is emotional sometimes because Mm. that would fall very much into the, well, girls are emotional and boys 
run around and do their own thing. I get keeping Luke a little bit away from that because he's, to Haley's point, new, quotey fingers. Mm -hmm. But if Clyde also doesn't have an opportunity to be connected to his emotional side just because he's supposed to be the funny one, then I would be a little bit disappointed in the future. They left us a few breadcrumbs for that to happen, like when he was talking about his dad and things like that uh, in the previous story. So and his nan is at this home <laughs> who we never see, yeah. but apparently <laughs> she's there. She's... He goes there and doesn't visit her. <laughs> he didn't have a chance to. He kept running all these errands, cleaning out spiders and whatnot. So, <laughs> poor kid. I don't know. Um, but uh, speaking of, uh, of uh, Marie in particular, we, we took a really, really big leap forward in her character, I feel, in particular. Um, and the Jackson family overall in this story really came into, into direct focus for a while. Now, Julie and I were having a bit of an offline discussion about the timing of this story in order to finally, you know, three stories into the, into the first season here, to address the divorce um, the the ongoing post-divorce relationship between the two parents, which felt so weird in the first two stories. Like you almost didn't know in the first story that they were divorced. They were just these this weird pair of people. Uh, and just the subject of post-divorce life for single parent kids and things that the uh, that is being pre- presented to a demographic that the show is particularly intended for. So I wanted to get sort of everybody's input on that subject, that idea of of dealing with this now and actually making it part of the story um, three stories into the the first season. It was, it, it was a little, it, it definitely caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting it, but I think that they handled it remarkably well in the fact that it is, it is a difficult uh, situation. Nobody is, is comfortable with the situation except for the mom who's like apparently clueless. Uh, but and it's it's not resolved at the end. There's not some oh well we'll we'll get through it together. No, it's nothing got resolved aside from the fact that they're all like okay well we we have to try harder, you know. So it it gives that kind of realistic look in in the fact that relationships are hard. It doesn't matter what age you are, mm-hmm. and uh, especially when you're a kid and you have no control of it. And she calls her dad out on it too. It's like it's like yeah, it's easy for you. You get a piece of paper and you're done but this is my life this is something i have to deal with and i can't get away from it mm-hmm. and it it just kind of showcases how difficult this kind of stuff can be on kids and i'm glad they didn't shy away from it i agree and the reason why i think this was well timed is you get a little bit of an introduction into their family dynamic in the first two stories but mm-hmm. it doesn't get slammed in your face and made the most important aspect of that and i think having the ability to use the statue moment as a the mom's never going to say those things to the dad to his face but you get that opportunity i think that was a really nice touch and to jay's point the mom will never outside of that admit it or even really you get to see that she understands a little bit more than she lets on but she is very much the center of her own world and that Mm -hmm. is all that she will ever, ever be and i think it's important to show the difference between her and Sarah Jane, as well as the difference between her and Maria. Maria could very well have turned out more like her mom, and she's not, because she's got other influences that hopefully we'll see develop. And Mm -hmm. that's why I think Sarah Jane's so good for the three kids, because they're all coming from a, I mean, they're kids and it's a TV show, but they're coming from weird backgrounds and they want to know about science and aliens and stuff. Yeah, Mm -hmm. We were preconditioned to really... (laughs) not 
dislike, uh, but but uh, have a, a sort of a preconception about the mom character coming on mm-hmm. the first two stories. You know, either she was being done as this s- sort of flighty, self-absorbed, um, not necessarily materialistic, but just uh, oblivious to to anyone else's concerns. Kind of flaky and immature. Yeah, immature uh, for mm-hmm. certain. And I don't know that that, uh, thankfully, maybe that's just the, the nature of how the story played out, that has not walked completely back because that is the facade that she wants to put forward. It's almost as if she has built that around herself mm-hmm. intentionally. And, and I think that's actually a, a nice complexity to the character. Um, and it separates her from other slightly similar characters like a Jackie Tyler kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and sort of sets that apart. I, I guess the, the reason why it came up as a, as a point of discussion between Julie and I previously was because I was wondering like when Maria first has her outburst, like when it really, when she first mm-hmm. blows up, it almost to me feels like where, where is this coming from and how come we haven't seen just even the slightest hint of this before? Like even if it's just a matter of not written into dialogue but in any of the weird exchanges that her parents had in the first two stories, she would have been directed to to sort of, you know, do the the back and forth eyes between the two of them or something to, to kind of, you know? I think that's how kids react to this stuff. It doesn't matter. They try to pay no attention to it until it's, you come in here and you ruin my life like that. Just running yeah. hot and well, cold. This is, this is also the first time she spent a lot of time around both of them together. Probably since the divorce, you know, her dad makes a point of saying, like, you can't just show up with your bags here. It's confusing. Mm-hmm. So that means it's that something like this hasn't happened before. They've interacted briefly in, like, the exchanges, mm. you know, when they're dropping the kid off. But other than that, they're not spending a lot of time together, all three of them. Yeah, true. It It is a realistic response from a kid who a lot of times they are just trying to to keep everyone happy. Because it's there's a lot of tension and things like that, and they don't want to add to it because it's it's already so tense. So that they, they do tend to bottle things up in situations like that, and it's it, it was remarkably realistic, in my opinion. Even when they're not dealing with the threat of alien invasions, right. and even such. with that, well, we we spend probably years four to ten or. 12 telling kids you're not the center of the universe it's not about you because they're so needy i don't know how old that goes but i know (laughs) my kid right now it's like dude you (laughs) stop it i get to also eat breakfast (laughs) so i I but have you considered his breakfast second breakfast second breakfast or sometimes third mama third breakfast please which is usually a part of your breakfast <laughs> which is usually yeah. part okay. of mine because i that? yeah but so i guess what i'm trying to say though is that <laughs> you they do i imagine and i did when i was a kid and growing up you hit a certain age where all of a sudden you are allowed to have your own opinions and feelings and thoughts and you you have to know when it's appropriate to share those with your parents and if you're most often with your dad and mom shows in and whirlwinds. And we only see that in certain episodes, but we don't know how much time is in between when she's showing up, when we see them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that moment where she's finally just, I've had too much. This is it. This is the line. And you just crossed it. So Jay, as a first time viewer who also gets to see the target demographic react live in real life, uh, how was it received with your kids? 
uh, they they really did enjoy it. Um, I, I think the the fourteen year old was a little bit wiser as to what gorgons were. the The younger one knew about Medusa and that kind, of, but only in kind of a, a passing kind of acquaintance. So it, he actually was like was learning about the myths and stuff like that with uh, along with the show. So it was it was really kind of interesting to see how that played out. But no, they they really enjoyed it. They were invested in it. Uh, the the younger one really really appreciated uh, or really glommed onto B as a character, and hmm. actually had some uh, some questions about like what Alzheimer's was, and so it was. And it, it handled it in such a way that it was easy for me to kind of answer those questions without spoon feeding him everything. So it, it really kind of worked to to get that um, that conversation going. And it, I really I thought it was fantastic. I am so glad that uh, that you that, that he uh, brought it up and that you mentioned that's something that I remark on every time I've, I've probably seen the story now three times, uh, but there's long gaps in between. So I completely mm-hmm. forget it. And I watch it all new again, <laughs> oddly enough. And this one, I have to say, one of the things I absolutely love is the fact that they do not give her the talisman is not a fix all yes at the end that is so critical i didn't mm-hmm. want this to be some sort of sci-fi holy crap we've got the solution oh. to alzheimer's as long as we all get one of these <laughs> gorgon talismans mm-hmm. we're all gonna be great um that was super super important and i'm glad that they handled it that way and yeah. to your point i think it's important too that it's recognizing that it is not a state of being like just returning her back to which she was, mm-hmm. that's not what Alzheimer's is uh, yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. It, like it's taking things from you. Precisely. Yeah. So. A pretty strong performance from that actor as well in being mm-hmm. able to handle some of the lucid moments and the transitions in and out that was that was done very respectfully. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. It was definitely one that I I thoroughly enjoyed. The kids loved it. Again, got the question of can we watch the next one? So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so, would we say that this is a uh, that we are getting steadily better as these stories progress, or are they just sort of maintaining a good a good comfortable line, and we're just sort of riding this out, or are you seeing an actual pick up or drop down in the quality of the stories as we get into the meat of the season? I think we're pretty consistently good. Yeah. Okay. Agree. Yeah. I'd recommend it. And I'd watch it again. Yeah. I, I had a question when I was watching this. Was B's husband the professor? Was he somebody we've seen before in Doctor Who history that he's had all these experience with aliens? Or he just happens to be somebody who ran into aliens? I think it was just sort of a, another uh, xenobiologist buff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somebody who's just kind of... <laughs> kind of like Wilf, only more qualified. <laughs> yeah, right. Wilf with a degree. Well, I think, I think that's a really good question because... When we see in Doctor Who, there's a lot of, there's aliens out there, but we never meet the people who aren't with the Doctor who meet and deal with the aliens. I think it's really important that we've met characters now who have nothing to do with the Doctor, because guess what? In this world, there are aliens. So if this, that there is the Doctor and there is Sarah Jane, then what else? There's somebody who's just randomly out there in (laughs) Egypt and finds... (laughs) 
just some bloke. Yeah. All of these other aliens. Well, especially yeah. since Earth what? is the center of the universe and a lot of aliens come here. Somebody's going to remember all of these Christmas Dalek invasions eventually. <laughs> yeah, and go seeking out other types they, of they, this. They invade on New Year's uh, now. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's why. That's why. Everyone you know gets all complacent by New Year's and says, well, we didn't see them at Christmas. Well, all right, everybody go back drunker. inside. <laughs> I will say I, I liked the fact that they brought up the Santarans with Sarah Jane. Like that was... <laughs> That one definitely kind of, I was like, oh, of course they would go with Santarns. That is fantastic. I love it. They looked a bit like the ugly potato. (laughs) Yeah. And for us on the heels of the holiday. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, everything we've gotten through the past season. Yeah, Yeah. "Yeah, they are potatoes. (laughs) I'm going to go eat some French fries. Potato jacks all day. April of this year is looking good. Woohoo. For a couple reasons. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, obviously, free comic book day is always exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always love running around to the, the comic shops and picking stuff up. But yeah. And Titan consistently has taken good care of us as Whovians on Free mm-hmm. Comic Book Day. We've gotten uh, a lot of fun releases and things where you get sort of exclusive looks. They were they were really early on the jump on giving us uh, a little bit more um, development into the 13th Doctor when she was first announced. They were like – we had uh, a Titan comic on Free Comic Book Day before um, Woman Who Fell to Earth was even aired. So they were really on the jump with that. And now, at least for a start – uh, we get a little bit more from the Fugitive Doctor. Yeah. Her outfit will look fantastic in a comic. The cover art mm-hmm. for yeah, it fantastic. looks amazing. Yeah. It yeah. is like super hyper-realized. The colors just are explosive. It's just fantastic. But even that aside, if this is the start of something, and this means that her character is compelling and people want to say, oh, I want Fugitive Doctor and Division stories – and we know that there's a we we're talking about it a bit this morning offline, uh, whether there's a moratorium or something that, you know, between uh, BBC drama and Big Finish that they can't use characters until you know, a certain amount of time has gone by. Maybe that doesn't stand with Titan, clearly. So, Maybe. hey, Jody Hauser, <laughs> Rachel Stott, let's let's get some pen to paper and make yeah. some stuff happen. So I know I'm excited for this. I, I would run out and pick it. A- just for this one, this would be worth it. Mm-hmm. But we also have some uh, a board game coming out that's that's kind of exciting. Exciting, moderately creepy. Not really sure. A little terrifying um, little. Uh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you're putting all these copies of angels out there into the world. Oh Why? yeah, what could possibly go wrong? So yeah, <laughs> we we will get a uh, a board game released that is literally called Don't Blink. So fill in the gaps. You've pretty much got it all figured out. Uh, two to five players. Um, each player, this is, I, I, it's not a completely co-op game. It's basically everyone versus one person because no matter how many people are playing, one person has to be the angels. Unless we're all angels because we're in a plane where <laughs> angels are the only beings. No, just kidding. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, well, actually, I don't think they're going to go that far because they're actually framing this within the 11th Doctor's era. So ah. there's you've got Rory, Amy, and even Clara um, okay. as additional characters, too. So um, this is, I, I guess, the, the goal is to fix the TARDIS. That old trope again. <laughs> ah, the rickety TARDIS is busted. Hey, hit it with a hammer. What are you going to do? No, uh, that was a mallet. I know what's going to happen with this game 
and I know that we're going to play it one time and one of the angels is not going to make it into the box and I'm going to find it in the middle of the night one night standing <laughs> on my desk staring at me. And it, So yeah. does that mean you don't want a copy or you want two of them? <laughs> <laughs> and you know those angel figurines are going to have like a bunch of sharp edges from the wings and the claws. So you, first you're mm. going to hurt your foot when you step on it barefooted and then it's going to scare you to death when you see what it is. Or you got to get somebody to set it near the nightlight. Over on the wall, so it casts a nice big shadow. (laughs) You you put it in front of the cat, and the cat won't blink, and you're good. See, I know the people that I live with, and I know if it happens, whoever finds it is going to find the worst possible place to put it for the next person to find it. And then it's just (laughs) going to be a continual thing. Hmm. This won't end well. So three boxes is what I'm hearing. (laughs) So what you want to do is make sure when you put them away that all the angel figurines are facing each other so they can't move while you're sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get and out of the then box. go put it in the cat corner because <laughs> then they'll stare at it. Yeah, two layers of defense. I don't know. Uh, we don't necessarily know whether this is going to be a full sort of card deck game or whether it's going to mm. be something in board and figures and that sort of thing. It's a little early in that regard, so we'll keep watching for that sort of thing. But, but start to finish, they're already saying the price tag is going to be about 30 bucks US, so Ooh. that's... That's not bad not, at all. Pretty not, reasonable yeah. for a board game. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. And for free angel statues in your home. <laughs> Theoretically. Or at least angels cards that you can just stick against the glass so that when people – or or, or or set them just inside the kitchen cabinets so that mm-hmm. when you open up for your cereal in the morning. You're going <laughs> to laminate them and stick them inside boxes of – Let's just put that missive out there now. You know what? Forget the board game entirely. I want everyone to just print angels and just slap them <laughs> – Everywhere, willy and or nilly, everywhere you can think of. Just make a game out of it. It's fun. It keeps people on their toes. reminds them that they're alive. Like in the glove box, you don't ever have to get in there often, but when you do, it'll scare you to death. Be great. Uh (laughs) When the cop is asking you for your papers, (laughs) (laughs) did you see that? Did you see that? Step out of the car, please. Well, next week we're going to be we're going to be talking about the the last two specials in the Chibnall era and <clears throat> how that kind of tees things up for what's to come. Yeah, there's there's only so many ways that you can reasonably hand over a very live situation post season thirteen. That is a kind way to put that. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, let's just say it is still in progress, right? Things are still dynamic. We uh, hope. I wasn't going to make the pun that they are still in flux, but they are. <laughs> be- be- because you're handing this over to a showrunner who is being looked upon right now as like the second coming. <laughs> Get us back onto the rails sort of thing, so to speak. But you have to do that in cognizant of the fact that there are still like the universe is in shambles. Earth is now universe centric. We've got angry Daleks and Tarans and and everything else. We haven't seen the master in a while. What's that D bag up to? You know, <laughs> on and on and on. And then, you know, there, at some point there has to be a meeting where Chibnall and RTD sit down and say, okay. Um, here's, here's what I left in the shoebox. Sorry. Some of the parts are broken and I lost that guy's helmet 
and that that card has like a bend on the side of it so you can't really use that in the deck because everyone's going to know which card you're holding because it's bent and on and on and on and russell says oh thank you so much i'm gonna chucks go- it in the bin starts <laughs> <Yeah>. over <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go build an entirely new game now thank you very much uh but yeah so we're gonna talk a little bit about how you could possibly do that in a cohesive fashion with a little bit of continuity maybe there are too many question marks in that one sentence. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it just it just rises up exponentially. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 457 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next week, this is Jay saying, you know, between the weeping sta- the weeping angels and the statue people with crying and saying, I just I, I'm tired of the creepy statues. Okay, can we just <laughs> be done? <laughs> and this is Gary saying, evil nun stories like this are are so big for me personally, but honestly. They're a hard habit to break. (laughs) She's going to take all your dollar bills for that. (laughs) (laughs) This is Julie saying, there was far too little cheese in this. I was waiting for the Gorgonzola to show up and there was none. (laughs) And this is Haley saying, am I the only one that was hoping to see Whoopi Goldberg teaching kids to sing in one of those rooms? (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode.